0: Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the Scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free eBooks, visit AssuranceofPardon.com/Logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Heart, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means, and why it all matters.
1: I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I'm Gage Jordan, assistant pastor of Youth and Families at First Presbyterian Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee.
0: Gage, here we are continuing our series on Jesus in the Old Testament. We got some encouraging feedback from one of our listeners, Travis, who said he enjoyed uh, 1 Samuel. And so uh this has been a this has been a fun series so far to help people uh understand that all of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus and a lot of folks uh they didn't grow up in in a tradition that stresses that that teaches that and so it is kind of a new thing it's kind of New Testament is about Jesus Old Testament is about who knows and so it just sort of gets avoided uh, it's always encouraging when the light goes on and people make that connection that they see that all of the Bible is about Jesus, not just the New Testament, not just Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, but all of all of Scripture. Um, that was the case Jesus made. That was the the claim Jesus made about himself throughout his earthly ministry. And that's the claim we're making about Jesus as we go book by book through this uh, through this. Uh, through our Old Testament, um, just a quick shout out. Our podcast is sponsored by Logos Bible Software. Um, uh, download, go to assuranceofpardon.com slash Logos and get a discount on your Logos Bible Software and uh, some free resources. Uh, check it out. It's a great way to make the most of your time in the scripture. Gage, here we are in Second Samuel. Kick us off and tell us uh, what's going on in Second Samuel
1: absolutely so we start in chapter 1 just to kind of give everybody a bearing and a context remember last time we were together in first samuel we dealt really with the 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 kingdom and the reigning of of Saul right the choosing of a king uh, versus resting in Christ to be their king and then Saul uh dies in chapter 1 so you see kind of the the death of Saul the anointing of David is the context that starts Second uh, Samuel, and, and what you see here, and it, it's going to be real easy. This is this is going to feel like the Chronicles of Narnia, and trying to pick pick out the allegories um, and the connections to Jesus. There's a lot of uh, foreshadowings with David that we see with the Messiah, and so really the biggest thing is it is it starts out um, in the the anointing. There's two different anointings, right? There's anointing of, of David as king over Judah in chapter two. And then there's a, an anointing of David as king over Israel, uh, in chapter five. Now, why is that? That's because at the time, uh, the, the territories of the kingdoms are divided. David is the, the first king and really the only time actually that we see a united kingdom, Israel and Judah as one northern and southern kingdom. Uh, you see that David is actually able to unite them, to bring them together under one king, one throne, one reigning. What is that foreshadowing to? It's foreshadowing to the Messiah that Jesus is going to be uh, the son of David who is going to uh, possess for himself a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so you see the, the inklings and the foreshadowings of that Uh, in the beginning, beginnings of chapter, chapter two, chapter five, you also see, um, as we get to, um, leading up to kind of the thing that everybody is expecting the Presbyterians to talk about. And that's the Davidic covenant. But, uh, leading into that, you, you see this contrast that I want to talk about because it, it starts in really kind of chapter, the end of chapter six with uh Saul's daughter Michael, um, and then it, it continues on through Absalom and and, and others with, with David. There's this this tension between the king and his enemies. And and David constantly writes about this in the Psalms, so we're familiar with this, but you get the actual historical context of what David's alluding to in the Psalms in 1. First and Second Samuel, and really, honestly, in other areas like uh, uh, the other historical books as well. But really, as you are dealing with David and his enemies, you're reminded that uh, David often is given victory over his enemies, even when it doesn't make any sense, um, even even when he's at his most vulnerable, even when he's uh, on the run. And we're reminded of what the shorter catechism says in question twenty six. How does uh, Jesus execute the office of king? Well, he executes the office of king by subduing us to himself, uh, himself, and then by conquering all his and our enemies. And we're reminded even in this foreshadowing with David that the king is going to conquer, and he's going to take personally um, our enemies as his enemies. Um, And and we see that in the way Jesus interacts with Paul, for example, right? Uh, That what is he going to say on the road uh, to Damascus to to Saul at the time? Saul, why are you persecuting me?
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And the idea of that is exactly what we saw in uh, David's defeat of Goliath, is David was winning a battle on Israel's Behalf. We talked about this last week. It was a substitutionary battle. Each mm-hmm. team sent one man forward, and that one man's victory would ensure victory for all of those on that side. That was the arrangement, and so it does make sense that that um,
1: that that God is is giving David victories that don't make sense. <laughs> I mean, even even leading into the Davidic covenant with this conversation with Michael. She's bitter because her dad uh, is no longer in charge. And so she hates David on principle. But what's David doing? He's bringing the presence of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, into the house um, uh, of Israel. And he's dancing and worshiping as they're going going up the hill in Jerusalem. Um, and he's he's dancing almost naked. Right. It says that he, he's he got he's got, uh you know, basically underwear on, but he's been, he's just dancing before the Lord, celebrating that the Ark of the Covenant is away from the Philistines, is back to the people of God. The presence of God is with them. And Michael kind of at the end of six makes this snide comment about, like, OK, so you just you're supposed to be a king and you're dancing naked in the streets. Like, how, how, do, how does that work? And he actually says, oh, I mean, if you think that's bad, I'll, I'll get way, way more. Um, inappropriate than this if I need to. And then it just ends with this crazy sentence. Verse 23, And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Right? Like basically because she tried to step to God's anointed, shut down. Right? And, And you see that foreshadowing. Uh, of of David getting these victories that he shouldn't have gotten, right? Like in that particular moment, he should have been ousted. You're dancing. You're the king of Israel, and you're dancing naked in the street. That's that's not a good honorable, quote unquote, honorable look, right? But he, but he's doing it anyway, any and that leads us to chapter seven. Now, the context here is David is is been he's been a man of war. He's been to battle. He's conquered enemies, and he's seen in these other places that. There's this these great um, temples and places of worship for their deities, and so David, thinking that he's wanting to honor the Lord, he's got the ark of the Pre- uh, the ark of the covenant back with the people of God. Lord, I'm going to build this ridiculous house for you. And what does the Lord say? I I did. No one asked you to do that for me, right? He- the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where's this house you're going to build for me, right? Where are you going to? put me that i need to fit somewhere right and that that tells us something beautiful about the the character of god and actually he reverses it like you're you're wanting to honor me but let me tell you how i am actually going to act on your behalf i'm going to be the one that's going to initiate this covenant with you instead of you doing something for me and he tells david we actually see it in um in chapter seven starting in verse nine he says And I've been, and I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more, and violent men shall, and and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people, Israel. So you see that connection that he, he's, he's right. co- connecting dots up to this point. And even that language, if I'm going to make you a name among great nations, that's the same thing he tells Abraham. So you sure. see that connection Abrahamic there. Language. That's right. Yeah. And he says, goes on and says, and I will, verse 11, and I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Moreover, declares the Lord to to you, that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That's Jesus, right? Just in the same way that we saw that the offspring that's going to bless the nations uh, from Abraham's offspring, the one that's going to come from David, Whose house and kingdom are going to, is going to be forever is Jesus. We know that for for two reasons. One, that the New Testament makes that perfectly clear. Matthew chapter one, right? The the list of genealogies is to show you that this is the the longer way to one you're waiting on. Palm Sunday is coming up, right? What what were they crying? Hosanna, Son of David. Um, right. You you see all the all these connections, but also. We know practically now, we have the benefit of where we are in the history of redemption to look back and go, hey, yeah, Solomon didn't live forever and his sons didn't reign forever. Matter of fact, Solomon had so many concubines that really the kingdom is destroyed after this. And we know of nothing else. After the Maccabean revolt, they're conquered for the rest of the time. So we know practically that they're currently right now uh, isn't a Physical son of David reigning on a throne in Israel, because it it we we have the one that is the son of David that is reigning and ruling, and it's Jesus who who ascended to the right hand of the Father.
0: Yeah, and this is this this promise that God gives to David is what we call theologians call the Davidic covenant, um, and and we see it echoed again. We've and we've and, and apologies to our listeners who've heard us tread this ground, plow this ground before, but it's so important. We can't say it enough. Um, Luke, the book of Luke, Christmas We Luke chapter 1, do, uh, the angel appears to Mary. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, Forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. So that's exactly what the angel tells Mary that Jesus is going to do.
1: And You may have some people who, I could see at this point, some people who would say, Okay, Gage, but what about verse 13 that, that's going to go on and talk about, He's going to build a house in my name um, and I shall, shall establish His kingdom forever. Then He says, And I will be a father to Him and he shall be a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, the stripes, the son of men. Well, the, well, what do you do do about that, Gage? Well, great question. You, you see actually this tension of the already, but not yet, right? That you see that it doesn't come through um, the son that David and Bathsheba are going to have, because that child's going to die. It doesn't even come through Solomon, although Solomon and in and of himself being, um, the possessor of wisdom is a, a type and shadow of Jesus. But you see this tension of this already, but not yet that it's, it's not this, this next son. It's not even the son after, uh, but it's one to come. We saw the same thing in Genesis, right? There's this promise. Of the offspring, the seed of the woman that's going to crush the seed of the serpent, and they kept going. Okay, is it Cain? No, it's not Cain. It's not Abel. It's not Seth. It's not Noah. Right? You're going to see this kind of tension again uh, of of an already not not yet um, almost a dual fulfillment here in the, in this reality, um, and it, and it reminds me of what the the divines actually say in helping us understand the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament in chapter 7. Uh, I actually read this last night during our deacon training. It says, The co- the covenant was differently administered in the times of the law, in the times of the gospel. And under the law, it was administered by promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the Paschal Lamb, and other types of ordinances delivered to the people of the Jews. All for signifying Christ to come, which were for that time sufficient and efficacious through the operation of the Spirit to instruct and build up the elect in faith in the promised Messiah, by whom they had full remission of sins and eternal salvation. And it is called the Old Testament, right? So, like, even the divines are saying, hey, yes, it wasn't the full thing, but you start to see types and shadows. It's the same thing that the writer of Hebrews says. Uh, depending on if you, if you memorized it in the King James with, uh, sundry times and diverse manners, or if you're yeah. in a more modern translation, many times in many ways.
0: Yeah. And by the way, for the, for those uninitiated, when Gage says the divines, that's, uh, that sometimes throws people for a loop. That's the yeah. authors of the Westminster Confession of Faith, the larger catechism, shorter catechism and, uh, confession that you're quoting there from, that was from the,
1: that was from, was that chapter seven of the, at the Westminster Confession, yeah, it's it's the point number point number five, and yeah, they were these. There now we're called pastors and, and reverends. We used to be called divines back in the day. you, you almost kind of kind of wish back in the day we could go back to being called divines. That's kind of cool, but yeah, I, I, I think also when
0: when it says, uh, uh, when he commits iniquity, I will I will uh, I will uh, punish him. Uh, the truth is that Jesus became. Our iniquities. God has mm-hmm. laid on him the iniquities of us all. That's all true. we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us preferred our own way. And God has laid on him the iniquities of us all. And, his, and by his stripes we are healed. And so yeah. even there, that that sort of gotcha verse that sometimes people will say, well, but what do you do about that when he commits it? Is, is yeah, he became the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. That's
1: right. And right. so
0: uh I don't find that little last line there in the bottom of the Davidic covenant that doesn't that doesn't train wreck that at all. It gives it strengthens it a great deal.
1: Absolutely, Second Corinthians five twenty one. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That's a very very good point, Scott. I appreciate that. So then we get into the fun part, chapter eleven and twelve, David and Bathsheba. Uh Right. That's also in second Samuel. So, so what do we, what do we do with that? Well, I would point you to, to two, two different situations here. First, Matthew chapter one, that even in the midst of brokenness and and, in the midst of an absolutely horrible situation of Bathsheba getting taken advantage of, of her committing adultery against Uriah, of Uriah getting murdered by David, by proxy of David, um, taking something that didn't belong to him and another man's wife, breaking ton, you know, several commandments in, in one. Um, in midst of the brokenness, in midst of the mess and in midst of the, the train wreck that that whole situation is, you see in Matthew one, God still putting things together. God's still mm-hmm. actually working and his arm of salvation extending even on top of and in spite of our unfaithfulness. And that's the gospel in a nutshell, right? Our, our, the gospel isn't you be faithful and the Lord will reward you with faithfulness to you, right? That's, that's the prosperity gospel. The gospel is actually, you're super unfaithful and, and you, you super don't have it together and he's going to act anyway, right? We go back to the Davidic covenant of David wanted to do this glorious thing, right? He wanted to, um, you know, show his obedience by having this act and this act being um building this great, great big house for God and God actually going, no, no, I don't, I don't need, I don't need your attempted obedience because your attempted obedience, your self-righteousness is actually just filthy rags. I'm going to act on my behalf for the sake of my name found in Jesus from my own hand, right? We Again, the same thing with the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham brings nothing to the table. He's asleep (laughs) the entire time, right? Where God acts on himself. And this is actually what we as reformed brothers and sisters believe when it comes to the sacraments, right? Like this is where we differ from our Baptist brothers and sisters, because they'll say things like it's in obedience to command the command of our Lord and savior. It's a, it's a public profession of faith, right? They're, they're bringing something to the table where, for us at baptism it's it's god's promises it's god's acting to you on his behalf for the sake of his name
0: yeah the the sacraments are not press conferences whereby we are making an announcement to to placard our piety before the watching world, it's a mm-hmm. press conference that God has called and 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 drawn us to. He He calls us to the table. He brings us to the table. He's making the announcement. He's the one speaking. He's the one feeding.
1: We're just the recipients of it. We eat. We drink. He feeds. That's absolutely right. Same same thing when you when you talk often, Scott, about the Lord's Supper, and you you tell people it's not a not a cookie for good behavior, right? Like we're we're not getting the reward of the supper because of, we were less sinful that week. We're actually like the hymn says coming, nothing in my hands I bring and simply to the cross I cling. Um, and, and so you, you see that even, even in this, that, that David, there's no reason in the world. This dude should be God's chosen anointed servant, right? He's, he's not um, well high and above uh, in in his obedience beyond everybody else right he he's a sinner just like everybody else but the lord loves him anyway and uses him anyway and uses him in such a way that he becomes part of the family of god same thing with Bathsheba same thing if you look to the lineage with Tamar with um Ruth with Rahab um all all those um and so you with see the apostle Paul with the apostle right. Paul. That's right. Absolutely. And I, and I think about it in, in, in this, in these terms too, Um, at the end of chapter 23 is going to list uh, David's mighty men, right? These guys that he uh, had around him to help him fight his battles that were part of his kind of inner, inner circle and inner, inner posse. And I don't think it, it obviously, i not just don't think I know for sure. It's not a mistake that the very last verse Mentioned is Uriah the Hittite, right? So this, so it wasn't just this random guy that that was fighting on behalf of Israel and and was doing what the king told him to do. That was his buddy. That was his friend, right? That That's was right. His, one of his mighty men that he stabs in the back, and and the Lord actually uses that brokenness uh, for the sake of His glory. Uh, and so as we we get to the to the end of of Second Samuel, there's a few things I do do want us to kind of wrestle with. The first is um, chapter 22. So chapter 22, you see uh, David's song of deliverance, and it actually chapter 22 and Psalm 18 are the same thing. Uh, and as um, you you see this, you see inklings of, of statements that you have to have to wrestle with. Um, And I don't want to give too much away because we are going to spend some episodes on Jesus and the Psalms. But I think it's worth pointing out here. So, again, you can see the connection to Jesus. Chapter 22, verse 21, this statement is made. um, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. Now, here's the thing. That's in chapter 22. That's 11 chapters after David and Bathsheba. How is it possible that David can make such a statement knowing that dude stole another man's wife, then had that guy killed after she got pregnant, right? Well, it's because even in the Psalms, even in the things that that David is saying, the Psalms are even about Jesus. That the, the only way in which the Lord can deal with, with David on account of his righteousness is if someone else has righteousness, that's better than his on his behalf. That's right. Um, the Paul says it this way in in Romans three and, and those that are, are familiar with, with the, you'll know that I'm, I'm borrowing from John Piper in, in this point here, but it, it says in Romans chapter three, that in God's divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. And then, how is that that possible well if you remember the the prophet nathaniel goes or nathan goes and um he confronts david after david and bathsheba and he tells him a story right hey david i need your need your help need your judgment on this king there's a man with one sheep and there's a man with a lot of sheep and the man with a lot of sheep goes in the middle of the night, and steals the one man sheep, throws a party, and cooks it for his friends. He cooks the the sheep and throw, throws a party for his friends. What do we do about this? But David, you know, angry and righteous, it's
0: indignant, yeah,
1: yeah, right. He's he's obviously well. We got to we got to arrest this man. We got to find him right now. And and from the the mouth of God, on behalf of his prophet, he says, "You're that man. You took the thing that you had. All this." And you took the one thing that didn't belong to you. And out of the, the mouth of David comes repentance. And out of the mouth of the prophet comes your sins are forgiven. Right. How, is, how is that possible? Unless there's a foreshadowing of the son of David who is, as we said earlier, going to be made sin who knew no sense that we might become the righteousness of God. So now we can even read Psalm 18 and read, because I had a, a church member ask you this. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. The only way I'm dealt with according to my righteousness that doesn't end up in me going to hell is if someone dies on my behalf. And that that's, that's right. Jesus, right? Um, and then you see at the end of 22, beautiful statements like this. Verse 51 Great salvation he brings to his king and showed steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. It's because God showed steadfast love to us on behalf of Jesus, right? He loves us uh, and gives us his son. And so now, even now, we have an intercessor who intercedes on our behalf so that when the father looks at us, he doesn't see our filthiness, our unrighteousness, our brokenness. Uh, our unfaithfulness he sees jesus right? right perfect perfect obedience perfect righteousness and the perfect sacrificial lamb that's
0: that's why he can look at you and me and say well done good and faithful servant that's why the that's why the the thief on the cross can be ushered into paradise because uh, a righteousness has been gifted to him um and, and God can look at you, look at me, and see that we've been clothed with Christ's righteousness. As we sing, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless
1: to stand before the throne. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that even, even now when you read the Psalms, and, and again, we'll get there, but as you read the Psalms, if there's a part that you think to yourself, how is it possible for David to make this statement? Well, it's only now... Put Jesus in there and go, can Jesus say this, right? Let's, I mean, we think about Psalm 24, um, who, who will ascend to the hill and who will go for us? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who, who does not lift his soul to what is false. Hey, guess what? That's none of us. (laughs) None of us make the list. If that's the requirement, we're in trouble. There's only one who has clean hands. Only one who has a pure heart. Only one who has not lift his soul to what is false. And that's Jesus. So as as second Samuel closes that closes with the last words of David, you know, he's he's coming to the end of his life. And as he's coming to the end of his life, his pride gets the better of him. And he starts trying to count all the stuff that he has. Right. The census. Right. That's what a census is. It's basically a victory lap by, by empires to count how much stuff they have. Right. And so he goes and accounts the census and the Lord gets angry with him right? Do you not, do you not, is it really still not enough, right? You took Bathsheba because you wanted more stuff. Now you got to count how much stuff, stuff you have now, how many people, how, how many racks of gold, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and the interesting way the story ends, again, points us to Jesus because through Gad, the prophet, um, David's given an option, right? Which it's like a good dad, right? Okay. You can, I can either whoop you or you can be grounded, right? They're like he gives him three options of which, which punishment to pick. And David goes, uh, yeah, I'm not, I don't know what to pick. I'm just going to fall on your mercy. And actually the Lord gives him the, the least, um, catastrophic thing. Um, and, and it's, it's because of his steadfast love and his mercy. You see, even, even then the Lord is dealing bountifully with his people. But the way that the last chapter and the last section, um, they're dealing with the pestilence, the, the, the destruction of, um, the people. And it, it, it's, it says that this angel is going through Jerusalem and getting ready to destroy Jerusalem when David sees the angel and instead says, Hey, this is about me. I messed up. Don't punish them punish me and you see that same intercession that Moses gives God on on behalf of, of the people right don't blot them out blot me out uh, in the same way you see David a foreshadowing of Jesus taking on the punishment that they justly deserved on himself instead and so he buys the threshing floor he builds an altar and he, he actually rescues the people from destruction by making a sacrifice to the Lord. What is that foreshadowing? What does that point to? Obviously, it's pointing to Jesus who goes on our behalf and sacrifices himself so that we uh, don't get the punishment that we deserve. Amen. Amen. Folks, we hope this has been this is helpful for you uh, to get your
0: head around uh, Second Samuel. Gage, thank you so much for walking us rapidly through that, uh, <laughs> to get a 30,000 foot overview with a couple of zooms in on a few passages, uh, so that we can see, so that we can read, uh, Second Samuel in a Christocentric way. Uh, if, if you have questions, uh, that we can answer for you about how to, how to understand any of this that we've talked about, uh, email us, assur- uh, contact at assuranceofpardon.com. Or reach out to us through uh, any of the social media uh, platforms. Uh, You'll have to; those those will come to me. Gage, uh, Gage, and President Trump have both been banned from uh, former President Trump have both been banned from Facebook. Uh, Yes. So, so, I am on uh, Twitter though. So uh, yeah, there you go. You've got you've got a a leg up on the former president there because he's not on Twitter. That's it. Uh, but anyway, we would love to answer any questions that you have. Um, if, you wanna, uh, if you want to, if you want to buy us a cup of coffee, uh, there's a link in the show notes to do that. That can be your way of saying thank you for uh, for the ministry of assurance of pardon. Yeah,
1: abs- absolutely. So um, on that cup of coffee, my daughter just turned two, so I'll take all the caffeine that you can give me um, yes. in support. And also, we we'd love if if anything that we said. Makes you want to go study more. It makes you want to kind of dig deeper and 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 kind of unlock. Okay, what is it? What is reformed theology all about? Let me introduce you to the Society of Reformed Podcasters. These guys are, are fantastic. Reform Brotherhood. Um, other other podcasts that are great. You can either find it on their web website at Reform Podcasts plural, or if you just look at the RSS feed wherever you find your podcast for. Society of Reformed Podcasters. They're going to put out two episodes a day, actually, on on their big RSS feed. Uh, that, that's helpful. Uh, anywhere from interviews with uh, well-known authors and professors to guys just wrestling with, through the confessions or wrestling through Reformed theology or going through Scripture themselves. Uh, go and visit those guys and, and give them some love as well. And as always, as Scott mentioned, you can hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And until next time, this is Assurance of Party. God bless.